Hello, and welcome to the Wausau Community Theater podcast production of Bram Stoker's Dracula, adapted by Duffy Lodick, with revisions by Chanel Vopel and Casey Hofer, produced by Chanel Vopel, directed by Casey Hofer. This podcast is a special fundraiser for Wausau Community Theater, which has been affected by the shutdown caused by COVID-19. Please consider making a donation to Wausau Community Theater by going online to www.wausaucommunitytheater.org and clicking Donate. Finish work faster with blazing fast business internet from TDS. With TDS Fiber Internet up to one gig, your business will have the speed, reliability, and bandwidth it needs to thrive. Internet-enabled devices, file-sharing apps, and software suites can work seamlessly without bogging down day-to-day work on your office computers. Take your business into the fast lane. Learn more at tdsfiber.com. Valid for business customers only. Internet speeds are up to and not guaranteed. Not available in all areas. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, episode three of Dracula. Mina Harker's Journal. Jonathan and I took the train back to Exeter, to our new home together, planning to introduce ourselves as the newly married Mr. and Mrs. Jonathan Harker. Our happiness was short-lived, for when we arrived there was a telegram from a Professor Van Helsing, whoever he may be. You will be grieved to hear that Lucy has died the day before. She was buried today. Please meet with me soon as you can, for I have questions. I could scarcely believe it. I hearkened back to our last sweet visit. I remembered how peculiar those last days were, so I went back and read my journal entries from that time. It seems impossible to think I missed the signs that showed the imminent danger for Lucy. I typed the pages in full to spare myself the sorrow in relaying the information to Dr. Van Helsing, and in the case I should be in such a state that I would miss details that would provide him clarity in his quest for truth. Over the next few days, I immersed myself in the local papers, hoping to find some diversion from my grief. I sometimes wonder if it is wrong to escape my own morbidities by delving into the morbidities of others. Elizabeth Williams for the Westminster Gazette, 25th September, article titled, A Hampstead Mystery. The recent events in Hampstead have puzzled and concerned the residents as to the safety of our youngest and most vulnerable population. Children have been disappearing from their beds at night. The young witnesses, who have had the fortune of returning to their beds by the morning, have reported seeing a young, beautiful woman, whom one coined a bluefer lady, a name which seems to have caught on amongst their peers. All the children found both dead and those alive have had strange puncture wounds upon their throats. Authorities are warning all parents and guardians to keep a close eye on their children and to not let them out of sight after dark. All are asked to report any suspicious persons, particularly any young females. Mina Harker's Journal, 26 September. I finally was able to meet with Dr. Van Helsing, who came to my home at half past two. Dr. Van Helsing? Mrs. Harker, is it not? That was Miss Mina Murray? Yes, 
It is Mina Murray that I have come to see that was the friend of that poor dear child, Lucy Westenra. Madam Mina, it is on account of the dead I come. Sir, you could have no better claim on me than that you were a friend and helper of Lucy. Oh, Madam Mina, I knew that the friend of that poor girl must be good, yet I had to learn. I have read your letters to Miss Lucy. Forgive me, but I had to begin to inquire somewhere. I know that you must have been surprised, Madam Mina. It has begun after you had left. I also know you knew of her sleepwalk. She puts down in her diary that you saved her. I come to you and ask out of your kindness to tell me all that you can remember. I can do my best, I think, Dr. Van Helsing. Oh, then you have a good memory for facts, for details? No, Doctor, but I wrote it all down at the time. I can show it to you if you like. Oh, Madam Mina, I will be grateful. You will do me much favor. I took my typewritten copy from the workbasket and handed it to him. I have written out on the typewriter for you. You are so good, and may I read it now? By all means. Read it over whilst I order lunch from the servants, and then you can ask me questions as we eat. He settled himself in a chair and became absorbed in the papers. I went to see after lunch, chiefly in order that he might not be disturbed. When I came back, I found him walking hurriedly up and down the room, his face ablaze with excitement. He rushed up to me and took both my hands. Oh, Madam Mina, how can I say what I owe you? This paper is sunshine. It opens the gate to me. Oh, but I am grateful to you, you so clever woman, madam. If ever Abraham Van Helsing can do anything for you and yours, I trust you will let me know. You will be happy in life and good life, and your husband will be blessed in you. But, doctor, you praise me too much. You do not know me. Not know you? I have read your diary that you have so goodly written for me, and which breathes out truth in every line. I, who have read your sweet letters to poor Lucy of your marriage and your trust and your husband, tell me of him. Is he quite well? Is the fever gone, and did they ever discover the cause of his illness? They have not given any answer for a cause, but he did keep a journal of his trip, which was full of strange ravings. I'm not sure, though, whether he wrote it while ill or once he woke up, detailing his dreams. Is there any chance I can see his writing? Believe me, that I come here full of respect for you. I am glad that I may be here of some use to you. For if your husband suffers, he suffers within range of my study and experience. I promise you that I will gladly do all for him that I can. What I have to tell you is so queer that you must not laugh at me or at my husband. If you only know how strange is the matter regarding which I am here, it is you who would laugh. I have tried to keep an open mind. It is not ordinary things of life that could close it, but the strange things, the extraordinary things, the things that make one doubt if they be mad or sane. Thank you. A thousand times you have taken a weight off my mind. I will give you a typewritten copy of his journal. Dare not say anything of it. You'll read and judge for yourself. I promise. You shall be hearing from me shortly. He took the papers and left. Later in the evening, I received a letter from him. Dear Madam Mina, I have read your husband's wonderful diary. You may sleep without doubt. Strange and terrible as it is, it is true. I will pledge my life on it. 
it will be worse for others, but for him and you there is no dread. His brain and heart are all right, this I swear, before I have even seen him. So be at rest. Please, you and your husband wait for me to write again. I may have need of your help later. The Notes of Dr. John Seward, Dictated to Phonograph Van Helsing went to Exeter yesterday and stayed there all night. Today he came back and almost bounded into the room and thrust last night's Westminster Gazette into my hand. What do you think of that? I looked over the paper, for I really didn't know what he meant. He pointed out a paragraph about children being decoyed away at Hampstead. Then I read a passage where it described small puncture wounds on their throats. Well? It is like poor Lucy's. And what do you make of it? Simply that there is some cause in common. Whatever it was that injured her has injured them. That is true indirectly, but not directly. How do you mean, Professor? Do you mean to tell me, friend John, that you have no suspicion as to what poor Lucy died of? Not after all the hints given, not only by events, but by me. It was nervous prostration following great loss of blood, which her poor body was unable to recover from. And how the blood loss. You are a clever man, friend John, and your wit is bold, but you are too prejudiced. You do not let your eyes see nor your ears hear, and that which is outside your daily life is not of account to you. Do you think that there are things which you do not understand, and yet which are? That some people see things that others cannot? Ah. It is the fault of our science that it wants to explain all. Around us every day the growth of new beliefs, which think themselves new and which are yet but the old, which pretend to be young. I suppose now you do not believe in corporeal transference? No? Nor materialization? No. Nor hypnotism? Yes, Charcot has proven that very well. Then you are satisfied as to it? Yes. And of course, then you understand how it acts, and can follow the mind of the great Charcot. Alas, that he is no more. No. Then, friend John, am I to take it that you simply accept fact and are satisfied to let from premise to conclusion be a blank? No. Then tell me, for I am a student of the brain. How do you accept hypnotism and reject thought reading? Let me tell you, my friend, that there are things done today in electrical science which would have been deemed unholy by the very men who discovered electricity, who would themselves not so long before have been burned as wizards. There are always mysteries in life. Why was it that Methuselah lived 900 years and old par 169? And yet that poor Lucy, with four men's blood in her poor veins, could not even live one day. For had she lived one more day, we could have saved her. Can you tell me how in some islands of the western seas there are bats which hang in the trees all day, and then the sailors sleep on the deck because it is hot. In the morning they are found dead men white as even Miss Lucy was. 
Good God, Professor. Do you mean to tell me that Lucy was bitten by such a bat? And that such a thing is here, in London, in the 19th century? My thesis is this, I want you to believe. To believe what? You think then those small holes in the children's throats were made by the same that made the hole in Miss Lucy? I suppose so. Then you are wrong. Oh, were it so, but alas, no, it is worse, far, far worse. In God's name, Professor Van Helsing, what do you mean? They were made by Miss Lucy. Professor, are you mad? Would I were. Madness were easy to hear compared with truth like this. Oh, my friend, why? Why did I go so far around? Why take so long to tell you a simple thing? My friend, it was because I wished to be gentle in the breaking to you. And I know you have love for that so sweet lady. Tonight, I go prove it. We spend the night, you and I, in the churchyard where Lucy lies. This is the key that locked the tomb. I got it from the coffin man. Dare you come with me? About ten o'clock that night, we started to the cemetery. It was very dark, and the scattered lamps made the darkness seem all the greater outside of their glow. At last, we reached the wall of the churchyard and we climbed over. With some little difficulty, we found the western tomb. The professor took the key, opened the creaky door, and standing back politely, motioned me to precede him. Fumbling in his bag, taking out a matchbox and a piece of candle, he proceeded to make light. Van Helsing went about his work systematically, holding his candle so that he could read the coffin plates. He made assurance of Lucy's coffin. Another search of his bag, and he took out a turn screw. What are you going to do? To open the coffin. You shall yet be convinced. He began taking out the screws and finally lifted off the lid, showing the casing of lead beneath. He took a loose flange. He bent it back toward the foot of the coffin. He motioned me forward. I drew near and looked. The coffin was empty. Are you satisfied now, friend John? I am satisfied that Lucy's body is not in that coffin, but that only proves one thing. And what is that, my friend John? That it is not there. That is good logic as far as it goes. But how do you account for it not being there? Perhaps a body snatcher. Some of the Undertaker's people have stolen it. Ah, we must have more proof. Come with me. He put the lid back on the coffin and gathered up all his things and placed them back in his bag. We opened the door and went out. Then he told me to watch one side of the churchyard whilst he would watch the other. It was a lonely vigil. Just after I'd taken my place, I heard a distant clock strike twelve. Suddenly, as I turned around, I thought I saw something like a white figure streak moving between two dark yew trees at the side of the churchyard furthest from the tomb. At the same time, a dark mass moved from the professor's side of the ground and hurriedly went towards it. Then I too moved and had to go around headstones. The tomb itself was hidden by trees and I could not see where the figure disappeared. I heard the rustle of movement where I had first seen the white figure and coming over, found the professor holding in his arms a tiny child. Are you satisfied now? No. Do you not see the child? Oh, yes, it is a child, but who brought it here? And is it wounded? We shall see. He struck a match and looked at the child's throat. Was I right? We were just in time. We took the child to Heath, and when we heard a policeman coming, we left it where he would not fail to find it. We went back to the churchyard to have another look in the coffin. The professor walked over to Lucy's coffin, and I followed. He bent forward and again forced back the leaden flange. A shock of surprise and dismay shot through me. There lay Lucy, just as she was at the funeral. 
I could not believe that she was dead. The lips were red, nay, redder than before, and on her cheeks was a delicate bloom. Is this a juggle? Are you convinced now? See, her teeth are even sharper than before. With this and this, the little children can be bitten. Are you a belief now, friend John? She may have been placed here since earlier. Indeed, that is so. And by who? I do not know. Someone has done it. And yet, she has been dead one week. Most peoples in that time would not look so. Here there is one thing which is different from all recorded. Here is some dual life that is not common. She was bitten by a vampire when she was in a trance, sleepwalking. In a trance she died, and in a trance she is undead too, so that she differ from all others. There is no malign there, see? And so it make hard that I must kill her in her sleep. Ah, do you believe me now? Do not press me too hard all at once. I am willing to accept. How will you do this bloody work? I shall cut off her head and fill her mouth with garlic. And I shall drive a stake through her body. Van Helsing stood, as if wrapped in thought. I have been thinking that we have made up my mind as to what is best. Let us go home and get much needed rest. Tomorrow night you come to me at the hotel at ten o'clock. I send for Arthur, and also that fine young man of America that gave his blood. Later we shall have work to do. Let us go and lock up. Extra special, the Hampstead Horror, another child injured. We just received intelligence that another child, missed last night, was only discovered this morning under a furze bush at the Shooter's Hill side of Hampstead Heath. When partially restored, she had the common story to tell of being lured away by the Bluefer Lady. It is wonderful what a good night's sleep will do for one. Well rested, I arrived at Van Helsing's room. I was the first one there. At a little before ten o'clock, Arthur and Quincy joined us. There is a grave duty to be done tonight. You were doubtless surprised by my letter? It rather upset me for a bit. I have been curious, too, as to what you mean. Quincy and I talked it over, but the more we talked, the more puzzled we got. Till now I can say for myself that I'm up a tree as to any meaning about anything. Me too. Then you are nearer the beginning, both of you, than friend John here, who has to go a long way back before he can even get so far as to begin. I want your permission to do what I think is good this night. It is, I know, much to ask. Therefore I ask you promise me, so that afterwards you may be angry with me for a time. You shall not blame yourselves for anything. That's Frank, anyhow. I'll answer for the professor. I don't quite see his drift, but I swear he's honest and that's good enough for me. I thank you, sir. I have done myself the honor of counting you one trusting friend, and such endorsement is dear to me. Dr. Van Helsing, I don't quite like to buy a pig in a poke, as they say in Scotland. And if it be anything in which my honor as a gentleman or my faith as a Christian is concerned, I cannot make such a promise. If you can assure me that what you intend does not violate either of these two, then I give my consent at once. I accept your limitation. All I ask of you is that you feel necessary to condemn any act. 
You will first consider it well and be satisfied that it does not violate your reservations. Agreed. That is only fair. And now that the pulpal is over, may I ask what it is we are to do? I want you to come with me, and to come in secret to the churchyard at Kingsday. And where then? To enter the tomb. And when in the tomb? To open the coffin. But this, this is too much. I'm willing to be patient in all things that are reasonable, but this is desecration of a grave. If I could spare you one pain, my poor friend, God knows I would. But this night, our feet must tread in thorny paths. Or later, or forever, the feet you love must walk in paths of flame. Take care, sir. Take care. Would it not be well to hear what I have to say? And then you will at least know the limit of my purpose. Shall I go on? That's fair enough. Miss Lucy is dead, is that not so? Yes, there can be no wrong to her. Good God, what do you mean? Has there been any mistake? Has she been buried alive? I did not say she was alive, my child. I did not think it. I go no further than to say that she might be undead. <gasps> undead? Not alive? What do you mean? Is this all a nightmare or what is it? There are mysteries which men can only guess at and they may solve only part. Believe me, they are now on the verge of one. But I have not done. May I cut off the head of dead Miss Lucy? Heavens and earth, no! Not for the wide world I will consent to any mutilation of her dead body. Dr. Van Helsing, you try me too far. What have I done to you that you should torture me so? Are you mad that you speak such things, or am I mad to listen to them? I have a duty to do in protecting her grave from outrage, and by God, I shall do it! Mine God, Mr. Holmwood, I too have a duty to do. A duty to others, a duty to you, a duty to the dead, and by God, I shall do it! All I ask you now is that you come with me, that you look and listen, and then to follow your lordship's wishes. I shall hold myself at your disposal to render an account to you, when and where you will. But I beseech you, do not go forth in anger with me. Why should I give myself so much labor and so much sorrow? Jack, what is the meaning of all this? I witnessed strange things last night. Trust me, as your friend for such a long time, I stand by what Dr. Van Helsing is suggesting. Please. Come with us and see for yourself. It is hard to think of it, and I cannot understand. But at least I shall go with you and wait. We arrived at the churchyard a quarter before twelve o'clock. The night was dark, with occasional gleams of moonlight between the rents of the heavy clouds that scudded across the sky. Van Helsing led the way. We came upon the tomb once again. The professor unlocked the door and entered first himself. You overwhelmed me yesterday. Was the body of Miss Lucy in that coffin? It was. You hear? And yet there is no one who does not believe with me. He took out his screwdriver and again took off the lid of the coffin. Van Helsing forced the leaded flange, and we all looked in and recoiled. The coffin was empty. Professor, I answered for you. Your word is all that I want. 
I wouldn't ask such a thing ordinarily, but this is a mystery that goes beyond honor or dishonor. Is this your doing? I swear to you all, by all that I hold sacred and have not removed her, what happened was this. Last night my friend Seward and I came here with good purpose. I opened that coffin, which was sealed up then, and we found it as it is now, empty. We then waited and saw something white come from the trees. When we returned, she lay there. Did she not, friend John? Yes. And so it is we find this coffin empty. Wait you with me outside, unseen and unheard, and such things stranger are yet to be. As we went out, Van Helsing took out a wafer-thin biscuit. Next he took out a double handful of some whitish stuff like dough or putty. He crumbled up the wafer and worked it into the mass between his hands. Rolling it into thin strips, he began to lay them into the crevices between the door and its setting in the tomb. I am closing the tomb so that the undead may not enter. And is that stuff you have put there going to do it? Uh, Great Scott, is this a game? It is. What is that which you are using? The host. I brought it from Amsterdam. I have an indulgence. We took our posts. There was a long spell of silence. A big aching void. Van Helsing pointed, and far down the avenue of yews we saw a white figure advance. A dim white figure, which held something dark at its breast. The figure stopped. We could not see its face, for it was bent down over what we saw to be a fair-haired child. The white figure moved forwards again. The moonlight still held. My own heart grew cold as ice, and I could hear the gasp of Arthur as we recognized the features of Lucy Westenra. Van Helsing and the rest of us followed as he stepped out. Raising his lantern, he drew the slide. Light fell on Lucy's face, and we could all see the lips were crimson with fresh blood. As she looked, her eyes blazed with unholy light, and the face became raved with a voluptuous smile. With a violent motion, she flung the child to the ground. The child gave a sharp cry and lay there moaning. She advanced to Arthur. Come to me, Arthur. Leave these others and come to me. My arms are hungry for you. Come, my husband. Come. Van Helsing sprang forward and held between them his little golden crucifix. She recoiled from it, and with a distorted face, full of rage, she dashed past him as if to enter the tomb. Within a foot or two of the door, she stopped. Answer me, my friend. Am I to proceed in my work? Do as you will, friend. Do as you will. There can be no horror like this ever anymore. Van Helsing began to remove from the chinks some of the sacred balm which he had placed there. We were horrified when he stood back. The woman, with a corporeal body as real at that moment as our own, passed through the space where scarce a knife blade could have gone. We silently, as if ordered by intention, followed the professor into the tomb. He unlocked the door, and we entered, closing it behind us. He took from his bag the lantern and two candles. When he lifted the lid off Lucy's coffin, we all looked, and saw the body lay there in all its death beauty. Is this really Lucy's body, or only a demon in her shape? It is her body, and yet not it. But wait a while, and you shall see her as she was. She seemed like a nightmare of Lucy as she lay there. The pointed teeth, the blood-stained mouth, which made one shudder to see it. Van Helsing began taking out the various contents of his bag and placing them ready for use. Before we do anything, let me tell you this. It is out of lore and experience of the ancients and of all those who have studied the powers of the undead. 
when they become, there comes with the changes the curse of immortality. They cannot die but must go on age after age, adding new victims and multiplying the evils of the world. Friend Arthur, if you had met that kiss before poor Lucy died, or again just now, you would in time, when you had died, have become Nosferatu, as they call it in Eastern Europe. But if she die in truth, then all cease. The tiny wounds of the throats of the children disappear. Instead of working wickedness by night and growing more debased in the assimilation of it by day, she shall take her place with other angels, so that, my friend, it will be a blessed hand for her that shall strike the blow that sets her free. To this I am willing, but there is none amongst us who has a better right. My true friend, from the bottom of my broken heart, I thank you. Tell me what I am to do, and I shall not falter. Brave lad, a moment's courage and it's done. The stake must be driven through her. It will be a fearful ordeal, but it will be only a short time. Go on. Tell me what I am to do. Take this stake in your left hand, ready to place the point over the heart and the hammer in your right. Then we begin our prayers for the dead. Strike in God's names, so all may be well with the dead that we love and the undead pass away. Van Helsing opened his missal and began to read, and Quincy and I followed as well as we could. Arthur placed the point over the heart, then he struck it with all his might. The thing in the coffin writhed, and a hideous, blood-curdling screech came from the open red lips. But Arthur never faltered. He looked like a figure of Thor as his untrembling arm rose and fell, driving deeper the mercy-bearing stake. Finally, it lay still. The terrible task was over. The hammer fell from Arthur's hand. Great drops of sweat sprang from his forehead, and his breath came in broken gasps. There in the coffin lay no longer the foul thing that we had so dreaded, but Lucy, as we had seen her in her life. And now, Arthur, my friend, dear lad, am I not forgiven? Forgiven? God bless you that you have given my dear one her soul again, and me peace. And now, my child, you may kiss her. She is not a grinning devil, no longer is she the devil's undead. She is God's true dead, whose soul is with him. Arthur bent to kiss her, and then we sent him and Morris out of the tomb. We sawed off the top of the stake, leaving the point in the body. We cut off the head and filled the mouth with garlic. We soldered up the leaden coffin, screwed on the coffin lid and gathered up our belongings, then left the tomb. When the professor locked the door, he gave the key to Arthur. Now, my friends, one step of our work is done. But there remains a greater task, to find out the author of this sorrow and to stamp him out. I have clues to follow and there is danger in it and pain. Shall you not all help me? We have learned to believe all of us, is it not so? And do we not promise to go on to the bitter end? We all agreed. In a few nights hence you shall meet with me and dine together at seven o'clock with friend John. I shall entreat two others that you do not know yet. Friend John, come home with me. We have much to consult about, and you can help me. Our great quest begins.
This concludes episode three of Dracula. Thank you for listening to Wausau Community Theater's radio drama production of Bram Stoker's Dracula. The cast, in order of appearance, is Jacqueline Newell as Mina Harker, Larry Kirchgeisner as Professor Van Helsing, Rebecca Bonkowski as Elizabeth Williams, Sean Caldwell as Dr. John Seward, Dylan Sleeper as Arthur Homewood, Chad Lawyerson as Quincy Morris, and Mari Erdman as Lucy Westenrath. This has been sponsored by Central Concrete Cutting and TDS Fiber, with special thanks to Mark Weiss and the Grand Theater of Wausau and Scott Ritchie. Music provided by Fesleyan Studios. This is a special fundraiser for Wausau Community Theater during the shutdown caused by COVID-19. As you know, theaters around the country have been forced to close their doors due to this pandemic. Please consider making a donation to help keep our community theater alive by going online to www.wausaucommunitytheater.org and clicking Donate.